Thank you to BMO ETFs, a division of BMO Global Asset Management for sponsoring today's video. What is going on you guys? Welcome back to another video. What's going on dad? Hey Brandon, I'm looking forward to this video. It's kind of a multi-generational thing that we're looking at today and showing some of the differences between a younger guy like yourself and an older guy like me building a portfolio. So everything's good here. I'm looking forward to this video. I feel like it's the perfect way to hone into our duo with the different perspectives, but exactly that. In today's video, we're going to be demonstrating exactly how easy it is to build an ETF portfolio using the ETFs of our sponsors video, which is BMO, but we're going to be doing two different scenarios. So one for, I'm a millennial, but let's just call it millennial Gen Z's, like a younger folk, and then yeah. one for the older folk, you know, the, the retirees, uh, whatever you would call yourself. But uh, I think that's kind of the idea today. That's kind of the idea, so looking forward to it, yeah. And I will just say, I mean, I mentioned at the top, this is an easy, we're gonna demonstrate an easy way to build a portfolio, but that doesn't mean that a lot of work isn't required. When strategizing and when building a sustainable portfolio and strategy, there's a lot of work that goes in beforehand Mm -hmm. to get you you know, in line with your investment goals. And I do think at first we need to start with the foundation. And the foundation, as our audience knows, to any good portfolio is setting the appropriate asset allocation. And the asset allocation in very simple terminology is essentially the breakdown of how you plan to allocate mm -hmm. your assets or your money. And what's so cool about setting an asset allocation data is like whether you have $1,000, whether you have 100000 <laughs> or a million dollars, in theory, that number can change but that asset allocation is the structure or blueprint of ultimately how your money will be invested. And this is critical because not only will we structure it according to our goals, but it'll also help us, it'll act as a tool to keep us on track over time as our portfolio moves, um, we can ensure that we stay balanced. I think that's one of the most critical things is that it'll it'll give us that, it's that, like you, you use the term blueprint, but it's like a roadmap, right? And so if you far, find right. yourself going off of a path, you can, you can get back on. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think what this video will demonstrate is, you know, building a portfolio of ETFs will differ between you and I, whether that's more growth focused, more income focused, you know, safer, more aggressive. Uh, mm. The objectives are vastly different. And I'm sure we will have some overlap. But um, yeah, why don't we get into that? What are some of the key considerations that we need to think about when structuring a portfolio? Well, I'll just chime in, Brandon. And it Anytime you're building a portfolio, you have to look at what the tools are that you're gonna to use to build it, right? So what the building blocks are. And mm. because today we're talking specifically about exchange traded funds, the first thing you wanna go, you wanna consider is how many ETFs should I own to, to, to put in the portfolio? Because you know there are a lot of ETFs out there today and a lot you can end up with a, a big portfolio of ETFs and you have a lot of duplication, overlap between the funds. So, so one thing right. you really have to be mindful of is, um, don't just go, go like three or four ETFs that are all the same. You end up with thousands and thousands of companies. It doesn't mean you're, you're building a diversified portfolio, right? So a, a key is you really have to know what your ETFs hold. And mm. uh, today that's information that's really available. Uh, for example, on, on BMO's website, you can go in and dig really deeply to the reports and, and they have to update those regularly. Um, you, questions like, are they broadly based ETFs? Or you know, some of the ones I think we're gonna look at today are, are you know, they're, they're more- More specific, um, right? More specific, or they're more niche uh, players. So that's a key thing there. Another thing is uh, you wanna structure, at least in my opinion, you wanna structure your holdings so they're simple, uh, to you know, sort, sort of like a set it and forget it type portfolios. But I know a lot of DIYers want to play more of an active role. So what we're going to show today is sort of building out with the asset allocation and then each person can decide whether they just want to run with that or massage that according to their own, their own goals. So I think that's, uh, that's kind of the key of what we're talking about today. 
And I guess that's the beauty of using ETFs and, you know, the fact that there's a, a massive suite of options. There's <laughs> products for everybody and every different style. And hopefully this video yeah. will kind of, you know, give you some ideas on uh, what may be suitable. And I think maybe I'll kick things off here, Dad. Uh, okay. You know, in setting your asset allocation, I think it's very important to do a self-assessment of where you are in life. And there's many factors that we would consider here, but I'll take someone like myself who's like, let's say in their mid-20s. I'm a little bit older than my mid-20s, but let's just say, you know, 18, uh, 18 to 25 is kind of the range I'm looking at. So young, you know, kicking off life, no longer a little teenager. You're kind of just like uh, getting going with things. I think these are some fair characteristics. And uh, maybe we're, uh, you know, maybe I'm over-characterizing, but I think in general, these are fair to say. It's likely that someone in their young 20s uh, is probably just finishing school. Maybe they're still in school, um, doing post-secondary university, but certainly finishing high school and they're possibly looking to start a career. And it's very typical that someone in their 20s would have very low expenses relative to somebody who's you know, in, in midlife or later in life. So very likely no kids yet, um, possibly not even a mortgage, especially if you live in Vancouver. Um, probably not going out buying homes unless you have some sort of uh, money coming through the door for whatever reason but yeah no no big liabilities like that right uh, mm -hmm. like a mortgage maybe you have a car payment or some student loans those are manageable but nothing major and what i think is really important is that when you're young time horizon wise you have decades and decades and decades to invest right mm -hmm. when will i need this money if this is money that i want to put away for my future or for my retirement i literally have years and years to kind of uh, you know follow the market, uh, to stomach the ups and downs. Uh, I don't need this capital tomorrow or next year in the midst of a crash. We can kind of stomach things. And I would say in theory, and yeah, this is in theory, but younger mm. investors do tend to be willing to take on uh, a little more risk, a little more aggressive with their portfolio, essentially striving for more growth for many of the reasons that we talked about. But I would say to kind of cap that off as a young person, priority number one is that we want to be growing our portfolio, compounding that uh, year after year after year. Yeah. And that's really what's going to help us get to our goals at this stage in life. Yeah, uh, I think some of the key things you said there was the risk, right? Generally, a younger person wants to take on a higher level of risk than someone yep. my age. But also you have the ability to do that because you have, you know, the you have decades ahead of you, right? I think so. I mean, I think that yeah. summarizes it. Like I said, those are generalizations and obviously everyone's situation yeah, is a little bit different. You're going to have young, younger kids who are extremely conservative and uh, that's the fun yeah. part about it. Everybody's different. But if I were to just kind of do a blanket statement for people in this yeah. age, I think that um, might be fair to say. And that's a good point because there isn't really, you can't make a blanket statement, but generally we'll capture a lot of the audience, right? So let me contrast that to someone my age. And these again are generally because I the first thing that comes to my mind is I would say that when you get older, either closer to or in retirement, you probably want to have, I'm going to reluctantly say the word safer retirement or, or portfolio, uh, you know, I'll call fair. it more conservative and safe means different things to different people. But when I say you want to invest more conservatively, it doesn't mean that you take on no risk. Right. It just sort of means you want to focus on minimalizing that risk. And you may get to the point where you're excluding higher risk holdings. And, you know, there's a even someone, let's say you're 60, um, you have statistically a couple of decades uh, ahead of you. So this will evolve over time as well. But uh, you, you do want to continue to have an element of growth, generally speaking, uh, in your portfolio. Another thing that someone your age probably doesn't factor in is estate goals, right? Estate objectives. So mm. one of the things that someone like myself or my peers would have to consider is 
is a goal of your portfolio to preserve as much of it as you can, like live today, but preserve it so that you can pass it on to younger generations? Or is it more important for you to say, well, I've saved this money, I'm gonna take as much income from it as I can and generate as much um, income as possible. I'm gonna place less of an emphasis on saving the capital. And I mean, I I worked with clients, Brandon, that said like, perfect world, the the day I die, I spend my last dollar. Like the kids can look after themselves. So that is um, an important factor as well that will come into the construction. And then lastly, I'll just- I don't like that philosophy. (laughs) You you don't like that That philosophy? That one doesn't resonate with me, no. (laughs) I thought it might not, but uh, the, the last point I had here is that really importantly at my age, what other sources of retirement income do you have? So if you have a really solid, guaranteed, indexed pension, you can probably mm. afford to take a little more risk with your portfolio. But if you're relying in 100% on your portfolio, that will also factor in to um, to how you construct it. Yeah, I think that's a really good one to finish off on because yeah, every, everybody's needs for income is different. And that's mm. one thing, I mean, even maybe it's broadly speaking, but if you just wanna say when you're younger, you're trying to grow and grow. And then when you get older, the priority needs to be on on spinning some of that growth off that you've gained over the years and uh, mm-hmm. everyone's income needs are slightly different and i think it'll be really telling when we look at our different portfolio holdings that we've selected today um how that comes into play and yeah i mean i guess i can kick things off to kind of the meat and potatoes of this video why don't we start with the portfolio that i've designed and uh like i said this is a broad based, obviously, if you're in, you know, my age bracket, um, you can tailor this. But from an asset allocation standpoint, what I think would be suitable for somebody who's younger um, would be somewhere in the range of 85 to 90% in equities, and 15 ish percent in fixed income slash cash. And that's typically how we will break down asset allocation from a high level, right? You kind of have your stock component, your equity component, and then you have your you know, counterpart to that, which is maybe bonds or fixed income or some sort of uh, GIC interest bearing safer uh, investment. Mm-hmm. And it's quite clear through this breakdown that we still as a Gen Z slash millennial are still primarily focused in stocks. And mm-hmm. just to, you know, I, I know the math, I think I said like 85, 90% and then 15%. I know that's a little, I'm giving rough numbers here, but um, I'm gonna run for this example with an 85% equity target and a 15% fixed income target, okay? So using the BMO suite of ETFs, the mock portfolio that I designed looks a little something like this. I wanna break this exposure down within the equity component to a US fund or one that gives me broad exposure to America. Canadian exposure would be next. And because we are younger and for the reasons we talked about, maybe willing to take on a little more uh, risk um, Mm -hmm. in our accounts, I would like to allocate some money to A, the international markets and as well, the emerging markets. And those are kind of, you know, you could mix those up. They are actually slightly different as we will take a look. Uh, there's a lot of overlap within those, but um, that would kind of make up the equity component. Those are the, the building blocks, if you will, of what I think the ep- equities should own on the fixed income side. Again, we'll just allocate 15% to a simple bond fund. That's kind of what I'm thinking today. With this mock portfolio, I'm allocating 45% to the US market using a US fund. The one that I'm using is ticker ZSP. And this is one of the most popular, in fact, I think the most popular BMO fund out there on the market. This is of course a fund that's going to track the performance of the S&P 500, the 500 largest companies in America. This is what I believe to be would be the core of my portfolio and I do want it representing a large chunk. I'll talk about why in a second, 
Following that, roughly 25% of the account I would be allocating to the Canadian market. And this is kind of a counterpart fund. I think these do complement each other really well. You know, you pretty much capture the North American market with an S&P 500 fund and then a Canadian fund. What I'm looking at here in particular is the fund ZCN.TO. And this is a fund that simply tracks the TSX. So the TSX, Toronto Stock Market Index, some of the largest companies that you're going to know and love here in the Canadian market are big banks, ener energy companies, telecoms, you name it. Between these two funds, we're going to have an array of the largest North American equities um, under our portfolio. And I think that's a great starting point. And just to touch on that briefly, why I allocate 25% only to Canada, you know, it's not because I hate Canada. Um, I, I know a lot of Canadians love to invest in, in Canada, but up on the screen, I'll just share with you some fascinating stats. We're looking at the past performance of the two funds that we talked about. So the S&P 500 fund and then ZCN. And what we noticed just looking in, let's say over the past five years, so we can look at a more relative uh, period, not since inception, because funds do start at different times, but just over the past five years, the American market, the S&P has outperformed the TSX and historically the US market tends to be the better performer. Now, obviously there's going to be periods of times where that's not the case and it's, you know, goes uh, the other way. And of course this is past performance. So this doesn't mean this is what we can expect, but just in general, the American market is a larger market. It's more diverse. Uh, you think of the biggest companies in the world, dad, they're coming out of uh, America um, more so than Canada, just to be completely fair. And that's mm. why I do think it should be a, bigger part of the core of my portfolio. Um, that's kind of why I've set that as such. Moving on with that core aspect aside, I'd like to allocate about 7.5% to an international ETF. We've already ticked off North America. We're very diversified there with those two funds alone. <laughs> but then we can look internationally, look abroad with a fund such as ZEA.TO. And this is the BMO MSCI EFI or EAF E index. In fact, this is essentially a fund that will give us exposure to a ton of global equities, excluding the US in particular. And right. this is a fund that trades as such a such an affordable MER considering it's a global fund. You're paying 0.22%. This is, ex in my opinion, an extremely fair um, fee to pay to go get this global exposure. The two funds prior are going to be so dirt cheap. I mean, it's just marginal how cheap these ETFs are, which is why low cost index funds are such a great way to invest. But if you take a look up on the screen, you'll see some of the companies um, and feel free to pause this or just take a look. You're going to notice some names. So names out of Europe, um, names out of uh, Asia, such as Japan, like Toyota Motors. One thing about this fund that our viewers you know, we'll recognize there's not much uh, Chinese exposure and to each their own, right? Like I said, if you're building your own portfolio, this is what you were mentioning, dad, where there's so many resources online where you can go look and understand what you own. But mm. there are a couple key components missing, in my opinion, to a completely well-rounded equity portfolio. Hence why with the remaining 7.5% of the equity exposure, I would look to an emerging markets fund such mm. as ZEM.TO. And this is the MSCI emerging markets. When we see EM, that stands for emerging markets. And I really think this caps things off. You got a very similar MER, slightly higher at 0.28%, but again, so affordable at the end of the day compared to let's say mutual funds. And what I like about these two funds complementing each other is they do have exposure to some rapidly growing markets such as China, Taiwan, India, just for example. So uh, up on the screen, you'll see some of the, you know, the big Asian holdings. And, you know, India is just a nation that's just rapidly emerging and growing in population and innovation. So they do kind of complement each other in that aspect. And to me, though, these four funds for a young investor can really just 
get your basis you know crop you know, lay it out for all sorts of uh different investments across the globe and um i'll just quickly cap off fixed income i don't have too much to add here but with the 15 percent that i've allocated to fi fixed income I always like leaning with uh, ZAG.TO, which is the BMO Aggregate Bond Fund. It's essentially just a basket of investment-grade bonds. You're going to have corporate, federal, uh, you know, uh, bonds. You're going to have corporate, uh, federal, provincial, just a big mishmash of all sorts of bonds. You can just keep it really simple and, and let them do all the heavy lifting with the bond selections, but they're all different types of terms. And this one, again, is extremely cheap as well, 0.09%. It's yielding 3.57%, uh, which is pretty solid for a bond fund, at least what I'm used to uh, from over the past few years of being an investor. Um, starting to creep up, obviously, as rates have come up. But uh, that, in my opinion, would be kind of what I'd like to structure as our mock portfolio for the, today's uh, exercise. And one thing I'll say is, you know, maybe some younger investors, like you're 18, you don't really want to have the fixed income. Mm -hmm. um, that's understandable. And I think I say fixed income cash that can vary, right? You can kind of wiggle back and forth and maybe it's more so keeping 10% cash in the portfolio. Um, it, it's preferential, but uh, that would be my breakdown. I'm actually really excited to hear yours, dad. Well, um, yeah, interestingly, I think Brandon, uh, first of all, there's going to be a couple of overlaps in the funds that we're using, which makes sense to me because we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. There's, there's that core of your portfolio, uh, that we believe you should have, but then a little bit differences, for example, in the percentages, but I'll just sort of get into my thoughts on someone who say, for example, a little bit older, I don't know, maybe 45, 50 plus, let's call it right close to, um, or in retirement and perhaps surprisingly, um, I'm not, this is not a very, very conservative portfolio. In fact, for the model I'm going to roll out today, um, I'm going with a 70-30 split. So 70% in equities and 30% in fixed income. For a lot of people, that's fair, but these could be adjusted to 60-40 or 50-50 or whatever you feel comfortable with, right? The difference here for some of those specialties, like for example, you had the emerging markets, et cetera. I'm not going into that space. I'm going to, my international exposure is going to be more in the conservative space. So let's talk about those for mm -hmm. a moment. But <clears throat> like you, I have weighed more heavily in favor of the U.S. market when it comes to the overall allocation over Canada. I'm, I'm, I'm allocating 25% directly to the U.S. market as a, a core of there and 15% to Canada for the same reasons you articulated. First of all, most of the global leaders come from there. It's a huge market compared to Canada. So it just makes sense to me that you would do that. I'm also going to put 15% into the um, international market. So more specifically about that in just a moment. I have allocated uh, 5% of the portfolio for a, I'm calling a specialty fund or a focused fund. And this would be sort of more something that uh, an investor might change around a little bit. I'm going to use, um, the, well, I'll show you in just a moment here what I'm going to use for today. Uh, but it can be shifted around 10% of the fund going into a higher yield fund. So a fund mm. with a covered call overlay to generate the extra yield for someone like myself might need. Um, and 30%, a higher number to fixed income. Unlike you, I'm going to split that between two different funds, I think, complement each other. So um, like you say, regardless of what numbers you're looking at, because not every 60-year-old has the same amount of money, but you should be able to... Um, you should be able to, especially looking in, in BMO's suite of ETF products, there'd be no, no problem uh, choosing funds uh, to fit the needs here. So I'm going to look to uh, strike a balance uh, with a strong core portfolio and then some flexibility for those investors uh, who would like to manage a little bit more themselves as well. So I'm going to look at seven ETFs overall, which I mm. think complement each other. 
so a little bit more than you. Starting off with, I want to say 15% of your portfolio should be ZCN. So you also picked ZCN as your exposure to the uh, Toronto Stock Exchange. And I'll just throw a graphic up on the screen here. You can see, obviously, very heavily weighted in, in the financials and in energy. That's where the Canadian market is for the most part. You can see the names of the company that you would own on here. Uh, the fund is considered to be a medium risk fund, right? Mm. Uh, with a, like. Like your funds are very low, uh, very low management expense ratios, almost, you know, it's point zero six. Yeah, you, you could know, argue. So you could argue it, it doesn't really matter, but uh, but that is the cost of, to own this type of a fund, point uh, zero six. So in this fund, you get an exposure to the Canadian market, which just represents the Canadian market. It actually tracks the S&P or the, the S&P TSX a capped composite index. So you can see on the screen what you get here. Now to complement this, um, I picked. Uh, ZUE, which is another BMO fund. Now, this is a sister fund to ZSP, uh, which is a non-hedged version. This is hedged. Now, this is something that you can choose to hedge your, your dollars, not hedge your dollars. Um, I'm of the opinion that over time, unless you're actively watching the currency, the fluctuation and changing it, it's going to net out for the most part. But this is the hedged um, dollars, the, the hedge fund. It's the S&P 500 like you had. And again, you can see on here where um, what you're owning, large companies, if you look down sort of the left side here, you're going to recognize pretty much all of these companies. The portfolio allocation, the construction though is different, much more tech uh, uh, weighted here, healthcare weighted, which is, I think it complements the Canadian um, mm -hmm. fund as well. Again, medium risk and a 0.09% management fee on this. There is a small fee that you pay for that hedging uh, you know, capacity there. Now for my global exposure here, I've picked STPL, which is the BMO Global Consumer Staples Index. And this tracks the Russell Developed Large Cap Consumers Staples Capped Index. And again, this is hedged to the Canadian dollar as well. Now this I find uh, to be uh, serving a lot of purposes. First of all, when we look at sort of the makeup of the portfolio, it's up just over half in the US, but then we see again, broad exposure to the rest of the world. The sector allocation, is all stuff that you're going to need, whether we're in a recessionary time, whether you're not in a recessionary time. So when we look at the names, Procter & Gamble, Nestle, PepsiCo, Coca-Cola, etc., these are all products that people use around the world pretty much all the time, whether there is uh, you know, a recession, whether the markets are good or not. And that's one of the things I'm looking for as a more mature investor is that stability. Uh, the fund is rated low to medium risk, so a little bit lower risk. And if we look at this, just some, some recent numbers, 2022, the fund dropped 0.3%. Now, remember what the markets did last year in general. It was a bad year uh, in 2022 for the equity markets. So this brought, brings a yeah. lot of stability to the portfolio. So when I when I marry this with the two funds I just talked about, this provides that ballast in there, an MER of 0.4%. Um, so I think that's um, a reasonable cost for this global exposure. The specialty fund that I want to allocate five percent to. This is this can be fluid if you work at if you, let's say you for example you want to get into, uh, exposure to a certain sector, a certain industry that isn't covered to the extent you'd want in the other funds. Um, you can go there. But I, for the example I'm using today, I'm picking a ZQQ, which tracks the Nasdaq 100, and this is hedged to the Canadian dollar. So it's the BMO Nasdaq 100 Equity Index. As I talked about earlier, it's important not to get a whole bunch of overlapping and a whole bunch of duplication. And this, you know, there is. Well, a considerable amount of exactly that here. You look at the names. This reminds you probably a lot of the S&P 500. This is very specifically to the information sector. We see, you know, 50% 50, 50 
IT, 15% communication services, and then 14.5% uh, to uh, consumer discretionary. So mm -hmm. there is that overlap, but I would use this if for an investor who wants to just boost up what the S&P 500 would give. And as we know, that changes from time to time. Right now, it's very heavily weighted in this space, but that will change, whereas this will stay specific to the, uh, the technology right. sector, to the communication. So it's more of a complement uh, to the other funds. Medium to high risk. So this is the only time I'm taking 5%, maybe uh, going to that high percent uh, or higher, higher volatility portfolio if you want to be tactical. If you had no interest in this, I would just bump up the weighting of the S&P 500 and not worry about this at all. Uh, right. A specialty fund. Covered call utilities, the, the ZWU, I'm going to put 10% into the BMO covered call utilities. This is kind of me, the best of both worlds, where you have a sector, a space that I like. You have the consistency of the utility sector, which typically, you know, isn't exciting. You're not going to get, you know, 100% returns in a year like you will in the tech space, but it's going to be predictable. Uh, this has a good allocation between Canada, between the United States, and you can see some of the names on here, some of the names that, you know, as, as uh, utility investors, we, we know and love here in Canada. A little bit higher um, management fee. The MER is 0.71 and the TER, the trading expense ratio, is 0.95. And that comes mostly because there is uh, a covered call overlay to generate higher yield on this. So uh, this is one of those funds where if, you, if you're looking to increase the yield that you're spending on a regular basis, you're going to pay for that, you know, for the underlying structure. And, you know, when I look at the covered call overlays that are available today compared to doing it yourself, well, first of all, most people probably couldn't. Uh, you certainly don't want to. It's a lot of work. So uh, it's well worth that extra management fee, in my opinion. 15% of the portfolios. I'm going to move on now to fixed income. So 15% mm. of the portfolio, I've uh, picked the same fund that you have, Brandon, uh, ZAG, which is the BMO Aggregate Bond Index. And that is, uh, you know, 1,400 bonds in Canada, something yeah. that no person could ever manage on their own. So you, you know, we rely on professionals to do this uh, on our behalf. 35.5% federal bonds, you've got 35% provincial bonds, a little bit of exposure to corporates and debentures, etc. So this is sort of, you know, low risk, boring, but it, I feel for an older investor, it does play a very important role in providing ballast to the portfolio. And the last 15% is ZQB, which is the BMO High Quality Corporate Bond Index. And this travel, mm. uh, this tracks the FTSE Canada one to ten year um, A plus corporate bond index. So it is more focused on well, it's focused on the corporate side of things. So an, an elevated level of risk um, in theory at least, but uh, also you know more return that would be expected as a trade off for that as well, uh, because it's Canada is more heavily focused um, in the financials, utilities as well. So uh, that is the, that's, those are the funds that I think would form a, the good base of a portfolio for a lot of investors uh, who want to go the route of ETFs. I really like that. And hey, if you guys have been enjoying the video and like the two different examples um, that we've mm -hmm. illustrated, please do drop a thumbs up and let us know what you think down below. But I think it's, I mean, even as you're explaining that, Dad, it's, we can compare and contrast. They're two very different portfolios. Um, and I would say I even kind of lean more on the simple kind of passive yeah. index now is it fair to say you've kind of like yeah uh, you know i don't know if core and explore is the right way to look at it but you've kind of got the core and then you've got a couple more unique ones that i think you've baked into this uh outline and i really like that and you obviously targeted them and you know catered them more to the needs like for example i wouldn't be out buying a utility etf especially with a covered right, yeah. call um strategy baked totally, in yeah. but that yeah. may be a perfect perfect example for somebody that's a bit older and that's a great you know contrast there even just with that example 
Well, as I said earlier, we kind of have a similar thought on what the the core of the portfolio should be. But yes, yes. once you go outside of that nucleus, then we're, we go in different directions and that's what you'd expect. And I just want to reiterate, I had used 70-30 as an example. But yes. if you're an investor who wants to simplify things, yeah, maybe you take out that specialty fund. That's quite possible. You just right. adjust those. Um, and, and the other controversial one for me would be the NASDAQ, you know, because it's, it is a higher risk portfolio. Uh, heck, I worked with investors who were in their 60s and 70s and even 80s who said, I want to take a portion of my money. I want to have that opportunity for growth there. So risk it for the biscuit. Not one size fits all. Risk, risk it for the biscuit. <laughs> hey, exactly. And I think um, I like how you kind of capped that you had a target of 5%. And that's different from, you know, a younger investor who may have yeah. significantly more. So and you did make a clear point of emphasizing that. And I think just in general, what to cap this video off, what would we expect from the two different portfolios? Um, obviously, mine with the 85, 90% equity weighting, we would expect to see more volatility. I have the international exposure, I have the emerging markets exposure, significantly less bonds than you. We would expect a portfolio like this to be more volatile relative to one like yours. And I think yours, especially for example, with those covered call ETFs would generate a lot more income than a portfolio than, than mine would. And of course, the 30% weighting, give or take, to fixed income as well. That's key. And I've always said at the outset of an investing journey, you have to sort of do a, a, a an honest deep dive into who you are and understand the yeah. path that you're going on, because there can be very windy paths or in a chart like this or smoother paths. And, uh, you know, the older people, when you have, you know, maybe you don't have an income anymore because you've retired and you're relying on this. It, it gets scary out there when the markets take a big hit. Now, even if you feel, OK, this growth, you know, over the next decade or two, these these growth companies are going to outperform. That's great, but when we see you know a, a crash or a correction like you saw last year, a lot of people just get scared out of the markets and that creates even more problems, right? You that's up, the worst yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, well, that's what you want to avoid. And I, I think that brings us full circle. It brings us back. Like, these are samples that are based off of the different objectives that we set and our particular goals that we outlined yeah. uh, in the very beginning. And I will just remind you that it is important to remember there is maintenance required over mm. time to re to rebalance back to this asset mix that we're setting, right? So it's like step one, I do the self-assessment, understand the goals, what your time horizon is, everything. Then you build these, this plan, this outliner blueprint. Once you get your funds in place, for example, if you looked at the funds we use today, I mean, they'll all be linked down below. You do still have to do the regular upkeep to make sure you're balanced within the right geographies and on target with your different uh, asset scheme. But um, other than that, it is this index strategy portfolio is really such a passive, um, I would say for the most part, hands off, not as active strategy that works well for so many people um, as investors. And that's why I guess we're happy to highlight this. I will just say yeah. one thing too that pops mm. to mind. I mean, if you're not even interested in taking it this far and, you know, essentially DIYing your own breakdowns, we've done videos in the past with BMO on their all-in-one ETF solutions, like the asset yeah. allocation solutions. You could take it one step easier and essentially have a predetermined asset allocation for you. There's so many layers to to the options out there. And to me, dad, that's the fun part about DIY investing is you could take it so many different ways. And um, I mean, I wanna thank our sponsor BMO. They have just the most comprehensive suite of ETFs to choose from. There's so many low cost choices. It's more so about finding what's gonna work for you. And of course you can learn more, all about that and more uh, at their website, which is bmoetfs.com. Good. Well, hey, Brad, I think this is a good exercise. I enjoyed going through this with you and seeing the differences that uh, I kind of would have expected between the way you would manage your money and, and me and probably a lot of our viewers. And, you know, we do have a, quite a range of, of ages that uh, and life circumstances that watch us. So hopefully this will add some value to everybody watching the video.
I was thinking about just saying a hundred percent into Bitcoin, and then I just, uh, you know, <laughs> I thought back to all of the things you've taught me over the years, and uh, this is what we've we've landed on. And you're gonna hey, cap that so, at ninety percent, eh? Just ninety percent, yeah, yeah. But um, it was super cool to hear yours as well, and um, thank you to everybody who's made it through the video. We'd love to hear your thoughts down in mm. the comment section below. So let us know what you think of these. What are your favorite ETFs? What is the asset allocation you guys lean for? Leave a comment down below. Drop a thumbs up. But we thank you for watching. We hope you enjoyed. And we'll see you in the next video.